Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a howlingly good episode. All about those furry, frightening, fanged fellows who come out when the moon is full. Please join us as we gorge ourselves on two transformative titles. 1941's The Wolfman and 1981's An American Werewolf in London. So, make tracks. On two legs or four, stick to the roads and keep off the moors as we present Boys and Ghouls episode number 52. Werewolf Werewolf. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Dummies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing. I want to kill you. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Roll the third switch. Not the third switch. Give my creation. Bye. 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 Right, but they, I guess his family chose not to have a marker anywhere. I wonder who's got him. Or, or they, they, like, you know, go spread him. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. Hey, Kat. Hello, Marshall. Do you have any spooky gab? I'm guessing you do. You have a sparkle in your eye. Well, you and I hung out a bit. For my birthday. We did. That's a great point. That we was went, since the last time we recorded, I yeah. guess. Yeah. We went and saw the Bat Cave in Bronson Canyon, also where the ending of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Which I delightfully told some people that we ran into who were looking for the cave. They yeah. were like, where's the Bat Cave? And I was like, you know, it was also at the end of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And they were like, okay, thanks. Bye. And I'm like, these people looked older. I'm like, you should know. <laughs> Educate yourself. I've known for a month. You should know now. <laughs> Anywhere else spooky on our day trip? That well, we, we went all over LA. We went tried. to the LA County Coroner's office to go to their gift shop Skeletons that I didn't know about until you told me. But unfortunately, the one lady who runs the place took that day off. Yeah, Yelp said it should be open, but I guess if you plan on going to the gift shop in the LA County Coroner's office, uh, call first. Make sure it actually is open. Yeah, I guess so. With my sister in town, my uh, day trips didn't stop there. You know, I, I took the week off, mm-hmm. we explored here and there, and I finally went to, I think it's just called the Hollywood Museum. Yes, it is. Have you been there? No, I've. It's been on my list for quite a while, but I have not been. It's in the old Max Factor building, and I guess it's got sort of four functioning levels. Right now, it's a um, salute to gayness. Is on like like the third floor. Okay. And there's all these like. It looks like there's Liberace's outfit, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, Liberace's outfit, and then you read closely, and it's like, this was worn by Michael Douglas when he played Liberace. Oh, uh, sure. I wonder if they switch out monthly, because June is Pride Month, and so well, maybe it's changed since... I don't know. I know they've got Elvira's car in there, 
The whole car? The whole car. You know, the, the car that she used, well, she probably uses it a lot in different personal appearances. It's in the movie, Mistress of the Dark. It's in the movie, yeah, Mistress yeah. of the Dark, and there's like a mannequin with her clothes on. And I think that was there already, and then they built the salute to gay. Sure. And so they just put up a, a thing that said, like, lots of gay people like Elvira. <laughs> like, they're not going to move the car just right. for this. Like, By the so way, just... she's kind of a gay icon. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't think that's a stretch at all. It isn't. It just feels like... We can't get this car out of here and then put it back <laughs> at the end of the month. I wonder what they would have done if it had been like re- really at odds with uh huh with that community. Um, the basement was all like a chamber of horrors. Naturally, uh, a trip downstairs took you to their horror room. So here's some. Uh, I'm, I'm showing Cat my pictures. Ooh, uh, what see, am I looking at? It's the that mummy. A, oh, it is. And it's the mummy. a vampira. I see her. Mannequin. Gorgeous. Uh, oh, oh, I took this for you. These are torture devices from the movie Quills. Oh my God, I love that movie. Too wow. Much. I was obsessed with that movie when I was like 17. Like one long hallway is the um, prison cells from Silence of the Lambs. Shut the and front door. You just walk along that and then the no. last one. Is, is like Migs? a, a, a oh, There's one right here. And, and, uh, Stuart Rudin played Migs. And, like, so the one next... Please don't tell me they qualify what Migs was known for. No. Okay, I good. don't think so. My sister's got a lot of photos of me mm-hmm. in that hallway, like, like by the, the Hannibal Lecter cell, which was pretty cool. We spent a that while down there. It is cool. And we went in the middle of the week, so there was like no one to disturb us. Amazing. And then across the street, over in Hollywood and Highland, they've got that Elvira Boutique... Oh, boy. In there. Also, here's a, a portrait of Elvira all done with, like, candy. Gorgeous. Uh, mostly jelly beans, I think, but other candies in the mix. Wow. And you can buy some, like, Elvira-themed candy bars and merchandise there. Yeah. What a fun yeah. trip. Yes. Uh, so when in the Los Angeles area, that Hollywood and Highland intersection, mm-hmm. you know, you got the Chinese theater, you got the footprints, everyone should see those. Yeah. So you got the Chamber of Horrors right across the street. And uh, for your sweet tooth, check out the Elvira Boutique. And I always recommend to people, because I did this at the request of a friend who was visiting from out of town, to go to Madame Tussauds. Because I'm, I never had a desire to go to a wax museum. But my friend was in town. This was probably six or seven years ago. They're never as like, haunted as you think they'll be. He was No, they're not. But I think it's still kind of spooky. But I had way more fun than I ever thought I would inside Madame Tussauds. I have gone there. My advice is dress well because you're, oh, going, sure. you're yeah. going to be taking photos next to very well-dressed yeah. wax And figures. no one's going to believe you actually met Angelina Jolie unless you're also dressed very nicely. It just you don't want to be outclassed in <laughs> yeah. every single photo. It'll just make you look like a bum if you just show up in a t-shirt and shorts. That is sage advice. The one time I went, we were going across the street to the Roosevelt to like one of their bars. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll bring a sports coat. And then I'm like, oh, sure, I'm glad I've, I've spiffed up a little bit. Yep. Because half these wax figures are in tuxedos.
get? Marshall. The uh, the tease at the end of the last episode was that we would cover something a little more monster oriented mm -hmm. because we've just done a slasher. That's kind of your fave. Yeah. And I said, I like monsters more if, if I had to really break it down. And that's something I know less about. And I chose The Wolfman and American Werewolf in London. And I said, let's just do these two movies. Yeah. Because I didn't want to do like all of werewolves because... There's a lot out there, and there's a lot of really good stuff that could, like, deserve its own episode. Well, the more we got into it, when the more I got into these two films, I realized what a great choice that was, and how well they pair, and how perfect they are to cover together, because not only are both of them kind of seminal for varying reasons for mm -hmm. their position in film history, but they relate to each other, you know... There's so much from An American Werewolf in London that is directly taken from and kind of honoring yeah, well, uh, 1941's just, The Wolfman. They just say The Wolfman. Yeah. At one point. Yeah, they, they talk just have about a discussion it. about it. Yeah, they talk about it. But, you know, John Landis talks about how influenced he was by that movie. And even Rick Baker was like, you know, John wanted. Rick Baker, the makeup artist, of course, was like, John wanted the werewolf to be on all fours. And I was, you know, in my mind, I was stuck with him being bipedal because he was on two feet in. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. was in The Wolfman. That's just what was in my mind. And, you know, I had to wrap my brain around the edge. So, like, it was so... The Wolfman, the original film, was so deeply seated in these people who made American Werewolf in London so that they, they are perfect to cover together, I think. Yes. I saw them both at a double feature once. At wow. At the Academy, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, was having, like, a Halloween series. Not a lot of people were there. I think because when people read, like, there's going to be an Academy screening, they don't read the fine print and see that it's open for the public. Mm. They just go like, ah, it's Academy members. You know, I'm not one of them. Right. And just move on. Kind of like SAG screenings, you know, just for, like, SAG members mm -hmm. and, and so on and so on. So there was this great screening where, like, Ron Chaney was there. Yeah, his up. grandson. Yeah. I've seen, I watched a couple of interviews with him in the process of researching these movies. Yeah, he does the horror convention circuits. Yeah. And then we watched The Wolfman, which is only like 70 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then out comes John Landis and Rick Baker. What? To talk about their movie. And the whole thing was like $12. So, wow. My advice, good listeners in the Los Angeles area, if you see that there's going to be an Academy screening, see if it's open to the public. Because this certainly was. And they pair together like a good wine and a good cheese. Neither of which I can name. Because I don't know wines and cheeses, <laughs> but I know from movies. What's that werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom in it? The Howling Horror, straight ahead. So, I want to go Wolfman and then American Werewolf in London. Uh-huh. Yeah, chronologically. Sounds good. But I think you've spent a little time covering werewolves in general. A little lore, perhaps. I have. I have not. So, Cat, the mic is yours. Oh, boy. <clears throat> so I mentioned this to you briefly. You and I had breakfast a couple days back. Yeah. And I'll say this now. There is a lot more to werewolf lore. Uh, it's a lot more complicated and more rich and textured than I could have possibly imagined. And there is a lot that I'm not going to talk about here because there's just too much. But it is absolutely fascinating. So if you're listening to this and you've never really investigated... There is a treasure trove of information out there. A yeah, classic werewolf can change shape any time it wants, day and night, whenever it takes a notion to. That's why I call them shapeshifters. I got a dozen books on it. So one of the things that shocked me is the amount of werewolf 
the amount of givens that you ask 10 people on the street and they're all going to pretty much come up with the same stuff about werewolves. They're going to come moon. up with full moon. Silver they're going to come up with silver bullet. They're going to come up with a lot of different things that... If you get bitten by a werewolf, right. then the, you become The a reasons that you become, the ways to ward them off, things like this. Many of which were directly influenced by The Wolfman, yeah. the movie. And then also some stories, some fiction from not that long before The Wolfman. So, you know, if you asked anyone, they'd probably say, people turning into a werewolf under a full moon, that's like ancient lore. It isn't, which is fascinating to me. But uh, the mythology of the werewolf grew up in various places and served different purposes for different cultures. So much like if you listen to our episode about vampire brothels yeah where we talk a little that bit was your about first episode where you're like i did some research and you're like okay and you buckled Notes. in yeah the same kind of thing went on with vampires where you had slightly different variations but in places all over the world which is kind of cool same kind of thing went on with werewolves sometimes in the stories turning into a werewolf was due to a curse sometimes as punishment for a crime sometimes part of a deal with the devil like i'll give you this but now you'll be cursed with this but the ancient greeks were the first to give the werewolf superstition a name so that the idea of therianthropy or zoanthropy which are two words i learned which refer to a human who can shapeshift into an animal mm -hmm. that idea existed in a lot of cultures a long long time ago but the first time we ever put a name to it lycanthropy was in ancient greece from the Greek leukos, which means wolf, and anthropos, which means man. The word is used to describe the transformation into a werewolf or merely the delusion that one turns into a werewolf. I um, see. The word refers to both things. And, of course, were, if we're talking werewolf, were is the old English word for man. So man, man beast, wolf. man, wolf. Or wolf, man. Or wolf, man. The legend exists in pretty much every country. Pretty much every culture. In places where there are no wolves, the belief is in were-tigers, were-leopards, were-bears. Whatever the savage, feral predator is in a country, a region, that's what the were-animal is. Okay. Um, this I didn't realize. Belief in werewolves developed in parallel to the belief in witches. So werewolf, as we think of it today, a man turning into a wolf, the kind of terror of it and putting specificity to it as being kind of demonic. All of that happened in parallel with the belief in witches in the course of the late Middle Ages so into the early modern period. Here. We're in Europe around the year 1500 to the year 1800. The myth of the werewolf is very strong in Scandinavia and in Southern and Eastern Europe. Most of our modern lore comes from Germany, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and these stories have been told and retold for centuries by the wandering gypsy tribes of these regions. You don't believe the witches' tales, do you? Not for a minute. But there were accusations of people being werewolves in the midst of a lot of these witch trials that we've always read about, which yeah, I didn't know. Sort of throw that in? Yeah. It, it, it was a smaller me. part of it, but it was, it was a significant part. Really, like, watching Dracula or reading, reading Dracula, how they just sort of threw in Oh, and he can turn into a wolf, by the way. Yeah. What's that? Running across the lawn. Looks like a huge dog. Or a wolf. So, in the course of reading, Marshall, a couple of these, I read some stories from the 1800s, short stories that feature wolves, and in the course of doing that, and also just kind of reading all the information I could about werewolves, I came upon kind of the different werewolf rules and tropes. So, do you want okay. to hear some? 
And yes. you can jump in with stuff that you've heard that I don't have here. Really, there was just one way to defeat a werewolf that I'd read in one of the not-so-dusty tomes mm-hmm. in my elementary school library, which was if a werewolf is, like, going to attack you, you throw your hat at it. It'll take the hat and run away. The next day, the werewolf in his human form will come back to return your hat. So ah. after reading that, I said, no more reading necessary. I don't have access to silver bullets anyway, but mm. I can I can throw a hat. <laughs> Plenty fine. Well, since you started with how to get rid of one or you know sure. defeat one, we'll go with that. In one of um, one of the stories I read, you had to exhaust someone, and that would cure them of their werewolfism. I think as a human, even like if well, you know them to be a werewolf who occasionally transforms, yes, literally physically exhaust them, like run them ragged. But the idea, I think, the logic, if there is any, had to do with like. Because the werewolf part of you is the baser, kind of, like, virulent animal, kind of, like, wild, that if you just kind of got tired enough, it would... It won't come out if you're sleepy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Of course, using wolfsbane or wolfbane, people say it different ways. I never really figured out what you do with it. Do you make them eat it? Do you rub it on their skin? Not really sure. But I, I will tell you this. It's a poisonous flower, and in literature is used... Variously, one, as a protection against vampires. There's a little bit of werewolf-vampire crossover. Symptoms of poisoning by wolfsbane in humans bears some passing similarity to those of rabies. Frothy saliva, impaired vision, vertigo, and finally, a coma. So one might behave as a werewolf if they were to ingest some wolfsbane. Sure. So back to the other remedies for, or either remedies to cure you or to ward them off or to kill a werewolf. Um, Striking someone on the forehead or scalp with a knife, driving nails through their hands, exorcism of a type, makes sense. Addressing it three times by their Christian name, Marshall, 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 thanks, I'm cured. And... Werewolves being sensitive to silver and resistant to other injury emerges from German folklore of the 19th century. So, so that wasn't invented just for the wolfman. N- no. Now, a silver bullet maybe particularly came about around in movie form. But okay. as far as sensitivity to silver, apparently that one was a little earlier. Well, does anybody have any silver? Okay. Then who cares? So if you want to know if someone... Is a werewolf. Okay. If they have a unibrow, that could be a good sign. Huh. (laughs) Curved fingernails. Okay. Low set ears. You're out. I'm a maybe. Uh, I have small ears for the size of my head. It's not about small. It's about how high or low they are. Okay. I don't know. I think yours are pretty pretty good. All right. A swinging stride. If you cut their flesh, uh, you're supposed to be able to see fur inside the wound, which uh, seems very silly. That's a negative. An old Russian superstition was if they had bristles under the tongue. Ah. Uh, uh, you're clean. We both check out. Great. Uh, um, in animal form, it might look like a regular wolf but have no tail. Apparently, mm. that's characteristic of all witches in animal form. I didn't know that. That uh, if a witch okay. is like, whatever the witch's familiar is... Whether it's a rat or a cat or a wolf, apparently it's supposed to have no tail, and that's how you can tell. So I guess all tailless cats and dogs are like witches. I don't know. 
And repercussion, right. where any injury inflicted on the wolf will show on the human. To become a werewolf. Go to a solitary place at midnight when the moon is new and strong. On perfectly level ground, mark off with the chalk or string a circle with a radius of at least seven feet, and inside this, a circle with a radius of three feet. In the center, boil water in an iron vessel on the iron tripod. As the water boils, throw in handfuls of the three spices. Meanwhile, intoning. So becoming a werewolf, um, if you, I guess this is all like if you want to become a werewolf, some of it. Drinking rainwater out of the footprint of the animal in question or from certain enchanted streams. Hmm. In Italy, you France... in times before sidewalks, there tend to be more magic that was footprint -based. I guess so. In Italy, France, and Germany, it was said that a man or woman could turn into a werewolf if he or she, on a certain Wednesday or Friday, slept outside on a summer night with the full moon shining directly on his or her face. Just Wednesdays and Fridays. Just a certain Wednesday. I don't know. So that's like, like trash and recycling pickup? Yep. Your body being rubbed with a magic salve, I guess made by some kind of a witch or a witch doctor. And um, it says here, being bitten or scratched as a way to transform is a relatively new concept. And in early folklore was not a way of someone turning. This is one of those details that I think most people would say. Well, if you get yeah. bitten by a werewolf and you survive, you're going to be a werewolf. And you would think that that is, like, the earliest part of werewolf lore, but it just isn't. That's a relatively new invention. Removing your upper garments, smear your body with the fat of the freshly killed cat. Mixed with aniseed, camphor, and opium. Bind your loins with the wolf skin and kneel down within the middle of the smaller circle to await the unknown. Alright, so, Hollywood, 1941. Let's start with the screenwriter, for whom, working for Universal Studios, this was an assignment. He didn't come up with this all on his own as, like, something to hand in. There was a scenario written. It was werewolf-based. Universal had already done Werewolf of London, so it's not like werewolves were a brand-new entity. And the original scenario involved, like, a boy who was raised by wolves, and I guess then as a man, he becomes a wolf man. Uh... It's time for another werewolf movie mm -hmm. coming out of Universal. Let's get And it. they already had other monsters. Yeah. Oh, sure. So they were um, trying to add another... Mummy, they were consciously trying to add another iconic monster. Looking back on it, it would seem that's what they were up to. I don't even think they were trying to add an iconic monster. I think they just wanted to put out another monster movie. Sure, sure, sure. And if it enters the zeitgeist, all the better. Right. Which it absolutely did. This high school boy, a teenage werewolf. Sabrina! Did you ever hear a werewolf's curse? No, but if I did, I'd wash their mouths out with soap. This could get kind of hairy. 
My mom's a werewolf. Fruit Brute with a howling good taste of fruit. So they gave it to, you seem to pronounce his name very well, Kurt. Siodmak. Siodmak. That's how everyone says it in the behind the scenes stuff. Which, by the way, I wanted to give you a compliment and say, I'll you, take it. I learned something in doing this, which is that as much as I'm usually renting titles digitally to watch that we cover and reading a lot about them online and reading behind the scenes stuff. There is something you loaned me both discs, the Wolfman and the American Werewolf in London and watching behind the scenes stuff really gives you a flavor and an idea and a feeling about the way people thought about and talked about the things that happened that you don't get just from reading words on a page. Or from downloading it from Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. And so, anyway, yeah. that's how I learned Kurt Siedmach, how to say his name, is because someone pronounced it multiple times. Take a trip with me back to 1999, <laughs> when DVDs had bonus features and commentaries and making ofs. And I used to gorge myself on those things, but now that I've gotten rid of, you know, I don't really, I don't really hang on to DVDs and stuff, because I'm like, you can just rent it digitally, but I'm realizing there's something great about... You know. So now I'm like some kind of old archivist. Yeah. Keeper of the word. Mm-hmm. Not throw outer of his DVDs. Right. So that's how I learned how to pronounce Siodmak. Kurt Siodmak, the screenwriter for The Wolfman. Who was German and Jewish. And Jewish. And left Germany when things were uh, starting to look pretty rough. Specifically, I mean, I'm sure there were a number of things that led up to it, but I read he heard Joseph Goebbels give a speech, like a really anti-Semitic speech, and he was like, peace out, and he went to England, and then he came to America in yeah. 1937, which I, it was just a very specific detail. They're like, yeah, he he also walked away from Judaism, like he, he wasn't a religious man. He was yeah. like, no. So he was just definitely a free thinker, definitely a think-for-himself so kind of guy. That wouldn't really uh, save him. No, no, back no. In the day, no, of course not. I just mean uh, for his own purposes as oh, far yeah, as yeah. I think it's important background he was to know as much someone more orthodox. he was, but to as someone who would go on to write stories that had really deep ideas about human nature and um you know that he that he was that he was someone who didn't take anything necessarily for granted. He it wasn't like, "Well, you were born to this, since so you will believe this." And he's like, "I thought about it." Nah. I mean, he you know, he he thought deeply about things. Yes. Which informs his work, I think. I believe so also. And trying to kind of read between the lines and all these special features and, and things that I've read and, and you have as well, uh, people are extrapolating certain motifs mm -hmm. that I'll buy it, but it doesn't seem to have come from his mouth. That being uh, the duality of man. Mm -hmm. And... How people can just turn into monsters on you. Right. They it, look at his experiences and uh, then they and, go, well, and, this must be what he's writing about. Yeah. And if he didn't come from Nazi Germany and he still wrote it, would they have said like, oh, he's got alcoholism in the family. He's writing about that. Or, oh, he's got anger issues. Or maybe his dad did. And he's writing about that. There's a lot of ways to look at it. But the straightest line that most people can draw is, yeah, back to... Germany. Well, especially when there are stars on people's hands that's the indicating part. that the, it's the sign of the wolf. The five-pointed star, or pentangle, or mm. pentagram. The five-pointed star. The five-pointed star, as opposed to the six-pointed star that uh, Jews were forced to wear. 
you can draw a pretty straight line from one to the other. So what we know we've got here is a free thinker who got out of town before things got really bad for all of his loved ones and friends. Uh, the movie opened on December 9th, 1941, two days after Pearl Harbor. And I thought, I was like, oh, that must have tanked. Who's going to want to go to the movies? Right. Turns out everyone. Mm. I don't think that movies that opened in theaters after 9-11 did particularly well. Right. In my memory, it's not until the first Harry Potter movie came out in mid-November, like a good two months after 9-11, did people really go to the movies like, like an event and, and get excited for a movie and be like, oh, have you seen this movie yet? Right. Um, something that really had some push behind it. Everything before that, I think, was just sort of like, we're just going to stay home and watch TV and watch the news and see what happens next. Whereas back in the day of you had the radio or you had newsreels, which were also at the theater, I guess a horror movie, which is as escapist as anything, could do pretty well in wartime. Sure. And it certainly did well enough. They brought the Wolfman back several times. Yeah. So, yeah, we got a script. We got a director, which I mentioned because I don't know who directed it. His name was George Wagner with two G's. I didn't really find anything super duper of note about him. Well, he certainly knew how to put a good movie together. Yeah. Great looking movie. Mm -hmm. The Fog. If there was an Oscar for Fog. Yeah. That Fog. Gorgeous Fog. My gosh. Yeah. The Trees. In, like, the marshy areas. With, Super spooky. Where all uh, the gypsies live. Where, where they hung out and where you would get the wolfman sort of, like, creeping from tr from tree to tree. Yeah. Just, Attacking the grave digger. Yes. Who worked at night. And when I had a job at a graveyard, people would ask me, like, so do you work at night, like, by lantern? I'm like, no. We're usually done by about 3.30. All right, all right. That's good enough for the likes of him. Anyways, no, those trees were all painted black and then had, like, a coat of glycerin <gasps> to make them, like, dark but shiny. Genius. Right? Boy, that plus the fog. Mm-hmm. Just great looking. The music. Um, great music. It couldn't be anything else. Yeah. It was dun-dun-dun, Wolfman. Yeah. The makeup, Jack Pierce doing the makeup, taking the Werewolf of London look a step further to where you don't have to really be able to see the actor underneath. You know what I mean? You don't need yeah. his specific facial features. Come on, now take that mask off! And the Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr. A.K.A. Creighton Chaney. Yes. This is his real name. Who adopted Lon Chaney Jr. when uh, his acting career, it was noticed, would have gone a lot further if he Adopted his famous father's first name. And Evelyn Ankers. Who would be paired with Lon Chaney Jr. several more times. And apparently they didn't get along, I yeah. found. I mean, they have great chemistry yeah. in this movie. I wouldn't have guessed that. Worked well enough. Other notables, Claude Rains. Claude plays, Rains, who had uh, been the, the Invisible his father. Man. Mm -hmm. And Ralph Bellamy, who I watched the whole movie going, why does this man look so familiar but younger in this and cute? But I've seen him 
Like a lot. But that can't be possible. What does he look like? He looks like uh, that fellow in the movies, you know, uh, Ralph Bellamy. Oh, him? And then I finally looked him up and I was like, oh, he's Dr. Saperstein in Rosemary's Baby. And I've seen that movie 800,000 times. Or one That's of the Duke him. brothers in Trading Places. You're from a broken home, of course. It was broke, so what? But man, Ralph Bellamy, I was like, what a handsome dude. Now, the setting. Takes the, place in Wales. They never actually say that. I looked it up. I was no. like, where the hell is this movie supposed to be? Because I assumed, like, well, Transylvania. I didn't know. I knew somewhere in Europe. Following what had come before, I think they really stepped it up for wartime. Because before, it was always sort of like, vaguely Switzerland or Germany, kind of Bavaria. Set during a time when they've got definitely trains and some cars, maybe, but a lot of people have horse and wagon. Right. There's such a combination of transportation yeah. in this movie. It's this real, like, sort of not quite this time, not quite that time, and not quite this country, not quite that country. Right. They got later hosen and English accents and just go with it. Yeah. The trees are dark. Well, how long have you lived in London? All my life. How come you don't have an English accent? Hey, I'm lucky to have a driver's license. <laughs> That Lon Chaney Jr. doesn't have an accent, but his father, like, sounds very British. But during wartime, you can't be like, oh, this is in England because it's a country at war. Not everyone's just hanging out having gypsy carnivals. And you can't say it's Germany because that's a country really at war. <laughs> and you just go down the list during that time in Europe. So the idea that he was, like, coming over from America to be like, hey, Pop, how have you been? Wouldn't work if it were a certain work. specific country. So yeah. it was this time. Don't worry about it. It was this place. It's Europe. Some people have accents. Some people don't. Larry had been away for 18 years, so he lost his accent. Mm -hmm. Sure. Claude Rains has an accent. Ralph Bellamy, who is supposed to be from there, <sighs> has no accent. Yeah. But his second in command, he's like, oh, it's a cane with a horse's head. And Evelyn Anchor's like, character is, she's in, like running the family antique store that's been there for years. And she's gotten, you know, she's sort of vaguely, I think she's British. She is, but then she worked to lose her accent so she okay. could get American parts. And then she's playing someone British again in a town where, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes British, sometimes you're not. In this fanciful movie town. Yeah. That's full of superstitious people. And for good reason, because werewolves are real. Turns out. Yeah. Where everyone knows the poem. Everyone knows the poem, shall I? Yeah, please. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers at night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. And the poem was changed for all the Wolfman sequels to say, and the moon is full and bright. Instead of, and the yes. autumn moon is bright. So that it could create a little bit more structure of, okay, when the moon is full, the werewolf will change. It's completely mind-blowing to me that the werewolfism that everyone knows, that's the first thing that anyone says about, like, oh, werewolves, full moon, yeah. was entirely a creation of Kurt Siedmach. Entirely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The... The, the moon association came entirely from Kurt Siedmach. 
the fact of it being a full moon thing came in the sequels to The Wolfman. Yeah. But that's The first movie doesn't bind him to the full moon. No. It seems to be just sort of a seasonal thing. A seasonal thing and a nighttime thing and a wolfbane blooming thing. Yeah. But even in the sequels, which all came really fast, right? Like, bam, bam, bam. Like, just in the ensuing few years. Just all right there in the 40s is when this thing that I always assumed was, like, from ancient times. The full moon werewolf yeah, thing. really got developed. It's nutty. Just invented. And there it is. I wonder if that's not just so um, Uspenskaya's character, she comes back, feels safe traveling with him to go find Dr. Frankenstein. Because the other gypsies are like, he's a werewolf. And she's like, only during the full moon. And then they went, oh, that's a thing. Okay. Yeah. Thought thought it was something else. Never mind. (laughs) I know you'll think I'm crazy, but in a half an hour, the moon will rise and I'll turn into a wolf. You and 20 million other guys. First, oh, God, weird. I mean, I, I don't want to go through every single thing in the movie, but it all warrants it. Hmm. Uh, home comes Larry Talbot to yep. Talbot Manor, reunited with his father, apparently his brother. Passed away. And now as the eldest son, he's come back to He's got a responsibility to, to, yeah, to be their lord over the area and be able to take things over someday when his dad goes. His dad has a giant telescope, which allows him to then see into Evelyn Anker's window. And then, rather than just go and introduce himself, he sets up the, like, the he's like, oh, I've got this inside information. I know what her earrings look like. I'm going to give the creepiest come on, where he's like, oh, I'm here to buy some uh, moon-shaped earrings. We don't have those. Yeah, yes, you, you do. Yes, you do. They're on your dressing table. In I your saw bedroom. them. Oh. So weird. I was watching that going like, dude, don't show your crazy card. Maybe, maybe they just kept him creepy. Because they needed a victim for the first werewolf. And she agrees to go out with him, but insists on bringing her friend Jenny. Right. Let's just say that. Yeah. Let's just say it's a writer's construct. Sure. It's like, oh, I need him to be creepy as hell. Right. I'm going to have him say this. Because at the end of the, the day, wall. Lon Chaney Jr. has the most sympathetic face. He's not a creepy guy. He's great at being the werewolf. He's great at being menacing and, you know, all of that. But like, oh gosh, as far as faces go, what a sweetheart. Just, just melting sad eyes. They're so sad. They're so sympathetic. He should have led with that. Yeah. And, Just look at her and, and smile, not, dude. I know what's in your bedroom. Go out with me. <laughs> so weird. the three of them go to get their fortune told because the gypsies are in town and the safety girl. Uh, is there a term for that? When you... Backup. <laughs> the backup goes first and Bela the gypsy. By herself can... into the tent. And, and, and you had to hear her fortune read. Your hands, please. Your left hand shows your past. Your right hand shows your future. Bela. Played by Bela Lugosi. Yeah. He sees the pentagram. He's like, I can tell you no more tonight. She takes off and then is attacked by a wolf. Now, this can be a point of contention with some people. Yeah, it's weird. I noticed it. I was like, hey, wait a minute. It basically looks like a dog and you find out it was a dog. I got it. I got it covered. Yeah. He was in the advanced stages. He's probably been a werewolf for like decades. You're good at thinking these things through. Right? Well, they also did this in the Jack Nicholson movie Wolf, Mm. where for a while he was just sort of running around basically looking like the wolf man. But then by the end, it's implied he's just a straight up wolf, four-legged wolf. I'll buy it. So, you know, if you're a freshman werewolf, you're more of a wolf man going around on two legs, still wearing your your pants and shirt. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas he's been at it for a long time, so he turns into a straight-up 
four-legged dog, but a really big dog, a German shepherd named Moose. Yeah. The universal backlot dog. <laughs> yeah, who there's not a lot written about, but it seems to be agreed that he was a former police dog who was owned by the night watchman. And when they tried different dogs for the scene, none of them seemed right. So they were like, well, let's use that watchman's dog. During the tussle, it actually bit Lon Chaney's hand and broke the bones in his hand, which I'm not positive, I believe. Uh-huh. Because when you've got a cast and they have to stop production. Right. Okay, whatever. That's the legend. So print the legend. Here's what everyone agrees upon, totally, that Lon Chaney Jr. was so taken with this dog, he bought the dog from the Watchmen. That dog was his constant companion for the next four years. Did you see photos of him? And, I and did, the and they were cute. There's a great picture of him dressed as the mummy, and there's the dog licking him. There's a picture of him in, like, full wolfman makeup using the dog as, like, a pillow. Like, they're both just laying around. Sadly, during the Cobra Woman... Moose was struck by a production vehicle. <gasps> no! I could have gone my whole life without hearing that. Sorry. That's okay. But you know what? The two of them were the best of pals for a good four years. That's adorable. It sounds like he was happy. Yeah, and from what people say, just whenever um, Lon Chaney Jr. was on the lot, the dog was on the lot with him. Moose! They say he was in several films. The only one I know that he was in, because if you try to look up Moose on IMDb, you get the dog from Frasier. Okay. The boy daddy, his name was also Moose. Uh-huh. But in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, when Larry Talbot goes to the gypsy camp to look for help, and like a dog growls at him, that's Moose. My heart. Yeah. That's funny. Another dog. <laughs> no, that's a wolf. A wolf? Mm-hmm. A wolf and a star. What does that mean? I thought you said you were psychic. Oh, I am. But this is only wood and silver, and it hasn't blue eyes. He's got this cane. Larry Talbot just purchases a cane to creep her out a little less, <laughs> I guess. He's like, well, now that I'm done weirding you out, I'll buy something from your store. And he buys, like, a cane with a silver wolf's head on it. Yeah, they have a whole conversation about wolves. We've talked on this podcast a few times about Bob Burns. He is now the owner of that cane head. And so it's a few blocks that way <laughs> from where we sit i just like knowing that, that yeah yeah that it's close by <laughs> it's, it's nearby and in the hands of uh someone who really appreciates it anyways so he beats the wolf with the cane cane's made of silver it works but it turns back into a human and he was bitten and later he's recovering and they're like hey, is this your cane feels like evidence to me but they just let him have it back right i guess at the time what are they going to do? DNA test it? What's right, that? Right. So they're just like, here's your murder weapon back. By the way, you <laughs> killed a gypsy. Do you want to make a statement or something? Yeah. Like, I killed a wolf. Right. But he's pretty shaken up by the fact that, you oh, know. Plus, Jenny, he, Jenny was just killed. Yeah. So they believe that there was danger there, but not that it was right. the gypsy. That the gypsy was just that accidental death. And he gets told, who tells him that he's going to become a werewolf? I believe it's the Gypsy Woman. The Gypsy Woman. Played by Maria Uspenskaya. Uspenskaya. By the way, my first introduction to the Wolfman was in a movie that I'm going to see this Saturday night at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. A movie which I watched a million times as a kid, The Sandlot. Because in The Sandlot, they are watching a movie. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet or a silver knife. 
or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. The beast um, dog jumps through the screen while she's explaining oh, about that, that he's going to become that he's going to become a werewolf. So I'd seen that moment from the movie a million times. Oh, that's right. She just comes out and tells him yeah. while he's he's like in the gypsy camp. And this was and her it, son, Be- yeah. Bela, who was the wolf and who was killed. So she, she's very sympathetic. She to gives him a charm, plight. and then he promptly gives the charm to Evelyn to, to Gwen. Evelyn Anchors. He doesn't quite believe, A, that he is going to turn into a wolf, and B, that that charm she gave him will even protect him. Like, it's a bunch of gypsy nonsense. So he gives it to her, kind of on a lark. I, I think it's less of a lark. He kind of believes her, and he's like... I guess so. It's like, well, well, if this protects against werewolves, you wear it. Yeah. Um, he should have worn it. He really should have worn it. Although, I mean, when that, when would he, it have prevented him from turning? Probably not. People do say that shouldn't she have just given it to Bela? Exactly. I'll just go back and say... He was in advanced stage. Right. Fair right? enough. This, this is more of like a, a month You're long. always good at like finding a logical explanation for things that like... I want to like the movie. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that's when he turns into the werewolf. And he is seated in a chair for it. And we get like a bunch of dissolves. Mm-hmm. So close like, up dissolves. Close up dissolves. Of like his feet. And his face. So he's like a little hairier, a little hairier. A little more yak hair. Lots of yak hair. And then wearing different clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh. if, if they kept him in the undershirt, they would have had to do like full arms. Yeah. So now he's out on the prowl. Not to just uh, gloss over the rest of the film, but it's him during the daytime going, you gotta help me. And at night going, and being a wolf man. Yep. And that really speaks to moviegoers as a monster, as like a reluctant monster in one way, as just pure beast in another. Mm -hmm. You know, Frankenstein killed people by accident most of the time. He didn't ask to exist. Dracula, he was pretty nefarious, but also he needs the blood. The Wolfman, he's just out to kill. In one level of the script, when Kurt Siedmach wrote it, it was all in his head. Really? Yeah. That man was ahead of his time. Or you weren't sure if it was all in his head or not, which is why there's so much dialogue from Claude Rains about, I believe that a man can believe he is a wolf. And he's like, my son is sick. But it's not like my son is sick. He's a werewolf. It's my son is sick. He thinks he's a werewolf. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that. Sure. Left over from what made up the first draft of the script, where it was a lot of just sort of point of view shots, and you really didn't know if he was really a werewolf or just a guy who thought he was a werewolf. Hmm. And then somebody said, no, let's just make him a werewolf. We've got this great special effects guy. We're going to make this guy a werewolf. Yeah. So the wondering was over for the audience, but the debate continued, mostly through Claude Rains. Yeah. You're fast to the chair. All the windows are locked. I'll bolt the door so that nothing can get in or out. Now you will see that this evil thing you've conjured up is only in your mind. His dad tries to convince him that it's all in his head by tying him up and making him realize that he's not really a werewolf. Doesn't work because he is really a werewolf, so he gets out of the chair somehow and 
when he was leaving, Larry says, take the cane, just in case. So he's got that silver-headed murder instrument. Uh, and when the wolfman comes and tries to attack Gwen, for whom he saw the pentagram in her hand, yeah. Claude Rains comes in. Not a large man, by the way, so it's extra laughable, yeah. really, to some people. And in The Wolfman, the, what was it, 2010, um, they try to explain how um, Anthony Hopkins could have a Puerto Rican son in Benicio del Toro. So they say that, like, his mom was, like, Indian. And I knew it was coming. They would then point to a portrait on the wall of his deceased mother and show how dark she was. So oh, everyone, everyone could just go, oh, all right. I <laughs> wish the 1941 Wolfman had some giant mother <laughs> who could take Claude Rains' diminutive genes and make, make Lon Chaney someone Jr. as big as Lon Chaney Jr. out of it. You know, I didn't even think of that, but you're absolutely right. It's silly. I just wish they'd taken the Lon Chaney portrait that they passed off as his dead brother and just like stuck a wig on it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah, I, I miss your good mother. She was a hulking woman. <laughs> <laughs> So now it's his father. He's got the cane. Gwen's being attacked by the wolfman. Claude reigns to the rescue. Whap! Beats him! Yeah. Until he turns back into his son. And Gwen comes to. She's horrified. Claude reigns standing there. He's horrified. Uspinskaya. She has that sort of like, life is tough and so is this. She's seen it all, man. Yeah. It's a tough life you lead when you know about werewolves and your son was a werewolf and... She's just got a million miles written on her face, by the way. Yeah. She's great. The way you walk to a thorny through no fault of your own but as the rain enters the soil the river enters the sea so tears run to a predestined end. Suffering is over. Now you will find peace for eternity. Does not end well for anybody. The end. It's a universal picture. When the monster dies, you end it. This was well before twist endings, despite the number of sequels that they would go on to make with the Wolfman. No one really concerned themselves with twist endings. So it was just like... All is not well, and, and the movie is over. And breathed. <laughs> the end. Yeah. This is the story of two young American students traveling through England on a night of the full moon. Fate let one live. A lunatic must have been a very fierce fellow. Wasn't a lunatic. What? A wolf. Oh, be serious, would you? And now everything is changing. 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 John Landis, the brilliant young director of Animal House and the Blues Brothers, has turned a classic tale of terror into something new. Something different. All right, so many moons later. I see what you did there. Yeah. John Landis had been sitting on a script that he'd written. Um, in 1969. Yep. When he was traveling through Europe, he said he came upon a burial. At a crossroads. At a crossroads. And I think he was being like buried standing up. And really, it was his reaction to 
his reaction to it, which is as an outsider, as an American young man, you know, he was still a teenager, to be in a world of curses and the dead walking and dark forces, what have you. He and the and the be, traveling companion he was with were like, what's going on here? And they were like, we're burying him so he doesn't cause mischief. Yeah. We're burying him like this, standing would, up really deep. And they were like, you're what? Like, he's going to get up and walk around? Yeah. What? It was It was a world past their knowing, and he would be quite outmatched if it was all, you know, it's all real in this. He's like, uh, I don't know what I'd do if some undead person came walk. Like, what? And so that was the uh, incident that got him in front of the typewriter, I guess. The supernatural, <laughs> the power of darkness, it's all true. So later, Landis is a filmmaker. He makes schlock. He works with Rick Baker. He uh, gives Rick Baker the script. At the time, it was very ambitious. He wanted to have the transformation all in one shot. He didn't do that. Well, and he was like, I didn't know how I was going to do that, I didn't but that's know Rick what was I wanted. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got a while to think about it. When he contacted Rick and went like, hey, man, we're going to do it. He get, Rick was like, ooh, hey, here's the thing. I just signed on uh, for a movie called The Howling, and uh, it's got werewolves in it. <laughs> Landis was like, did you tell him about the Changeo heads? I guess that's what they were calling it, where you could actually like see the skin stretching in the face. Yeah. And Baker was like, sort of. Oh, boy. But he left the project. He gave The Howling to Rob Bottin. And signed on with American Werewolf in London. Both movies came out in the same year, in 1981. Howling actually came out first. Wherein they kept the werewolves on two legs. Whereas Landis didn't think that in today's day and age anyone would really buy that anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think the Howling two-leg werewolves look great. And just went like another direction. Keeping it on two legs, but not keeping them still wearing like... A suit of clothes. <laughs> Button-down shirt, long sleeves, pants. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're still um, half man, half wolf, but they are bipedal. 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 Yeah. What Landis wanted and Baker delivered was just a really big, scary wolf. It is terrifying. But most of what went into that wolf, I think, is the transformation scene, which does not involve fades, d dissolves, doesn't involve dissolves. Right. Like the original did. Like the original did. Or like in uh, Werewolf of London, he would just sort of walk behind a, column behind a column and emerge from the other side a yeah. little bit furrier. Now, again, because my introduction to all of this was the thriller video. Same. There were a lot of things that I just took for granted that I didn't realize were new and now canon because mm -hmm. of American Werewolf in London. Specifically, the idea that a transformation would hurt. Right. That it would be painful. And John Landis, it was his idea. He was like, this yeah. would be excruciating. Your, your bones are reforming. You got claws coming out. I'll sprout hair and fangs and eat people. And the uh, American Werewolf in London won the very first uh, Academy Award for Best Makeup. I looked that up today. I thought maybe it was just so awesome they invented it just for him. That's what I kind of thought might be the case. The Elephant Man, like the year before, was so awesome. They but, were like, we got to add a category. Yeah, people, okay. were, there was a bit of outrage that like this great achievement went unnoticed because it didn't have a category to notice it. Mm -hmm. So following year, they had it just in time, I'd say. So American Werewolf in London well deserved. can come and, and get it. Vincent, will you reveal the winner? No, please, you do it. Uh, openings always make me shaky. <laughs> <laughs> 
The winner is Rick Baker for an American Werewolf in London. It's a painful transformation in a well-lit room. Yeah, he made that point too. He's like, I want to see it all. Yeah, there's no hiding. And most of the time, whenever the character of Jack is in the room, he's in bright lights as well. Mm -hmm. So you have to be on point with your makeup. Yeah. Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah? A coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. The Hound of the Baskervilles? Pecos Bill? Heathcliff. Heathcliff didn't howl. No, but he was on the moors. <laughs> it's a full moon. Beware, Beware the, the moon. moon. And stick to the road. Oops. Let's meet Jack and David. Jack was Griffin Dunn. Who I did not realize was Dominic Dunn's son and Dominique Dunn's brother until I think today. I, I think I knew that. Well, it occurred to me I'd heard the name and been reading it, Griffin Dunn, Griffin Dunn, and I was like, that wouldn't be the same Dunn that I've... Oh, my God. And it was. How many Dunns could there be? Which, of course, Dominic Dunn, journalist, author, prominently featured in People vs. O.J. Simpson. Ha, ha, ha. But also his daughter, Dominic Dunn, Dominique, um, Dominique Dunn. Dunn was killed. She was in Poltergeist, and she was strangled to death by her abusive boyfriend. And that's Griffin Dunn's sister. I just did not... I never made that connection. Hmm. Very sad. But... Meanwhile, David Naughton was the Pepper guy who would sing about Dr. Pepper. I drink Dr. Pepper and I'm proud. I'm part of an original crowd. And if you look around these days... Seems to be a Dr. Pepper craze. And so he was like one of the sort of bright, shiny people of his generation. So then to take him and really just put him through the ringer and make him a wolfman uh, was all the more potent because he, he was like cute. he was like a happy. Sp he's cute. Yeah. Yes. And, and just like like a well scrubbed spokesman, just here to get you on board with Dr. Pepper and get you feeling in that Dr. Pepper way. The two young men are backpacking through Europe, starting in northern England, where they happen upon a pub late at night full of very superstitious folk, I guess. It's called the Slaughtered Lamb. The Slaughtered Lamb. And when they ask about a pentagram on the wall that appears to be like just aged blood with two candles that in one of the funniest for hundreds of years in one of the funniest moments of the entire movie which by the way like i know john landis has said he hates when people call it a horror comedy because he's like it's a horror movie even though there are moments it's, it's that are very funny movie that has comedy in it but the fact is he was coming off of two successful comedies sure so when it was being promoted it was from the director of the blues brothers and animal, animal house, house yeah comes this new movie so there we don't know how to market of, it. Yeah. A lot of people went in expecting just a comedy. Sure. But I just laughed out loud and was dying because I'd forgotten about this moment where the two boys are in the slaughtered lamb and, you know, all the people are acting very peculiarly, staring at them. They're like, hey, can we get some food? And the woman's like, no. And they're like, can we get this? And she's like, no. And they feel very unwelcome. 
But then one of the men starts telling a story, he's telling a joke, and they're yeah. like, ha, 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 laughing all along. And then, meanwhile, they're looking at each other going, why don't you ask him about the thing? You ask him, because they're creeped yeah. out. And finally, in the, amongst peals of laughter, I think it's Griffin Dunn, uh, he says, excuse me, but what's that star on the wall for? And then crickets not yeah. even crickets just silence everyone just stares at them uh and i'm realizing now like describing a moment that's funny kind of doesn't make it it doesn't really quite approximate yeah. the funny but but, the, the, but it's it's the it, guy it, misses it, the dartboard he's like you made me miss right it gives you a sense of like how tonally a little bit strange this movie is but that moment of like <laughs> tension and then breaking the tension with the laughter and then tension again gives you it kind of Sets you up for the rest of the it movie? Sets, yes, and that is taking place right before they go out to the moors. And, I don't know, maybe audiences, you relax a little bit for a second. Because you're like, oh, <laughs> that was funny. And then, carnage. Yeah. Uh, which is shocking. The, the blood really comes out. Because <laughs> it was scary, and then they put in like a laugh moment because like he slips and falls. Yeah. It oh, even, yeah, because they've left the slaughtered attention. lamb because they're like, let's get out of here. This is weird. They get kicked out, they get kicked basically. Out. And they get told... Stick to the road and beware the moon. Guys, this isn't the end of the podcast. No, 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 no. This isn't the end of the Stick with us. We got a little more to go. That phrase, which when we started episode number one, I was going to say one of the lines, like, like stick to the road. Uh-huh. Or, and then you were going to say beware the moon. Mm-hmm. But I messed up my line, so I just cut it. And Origin stories. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And that's why we say just... <laughs> Beware the moon at the end. But they're told, uh, stick to the road, and they stay don't. off the moors, and beware the moon. And they're idiot Americans, and they don't. They don't. They get attacked by this beast. Jack Griffin Dunn, dead. Bloody. It's very traumatizing. David is running away, goes back for him, gets attacked. But then all the, the local like sheep herders had a change of heart and decided, like, uh... Let's, we better go save the kids. better go save these guys. Um, they shoot the werewolf with rifles and... And three weeks later, he wakes up from a coma. And he's in London. In a, ho- in a hospital. In a hospital with, um, was it Jenny Agater? She's pretty. And it's really all you hope for in a nurse. Sure. When, when you wake up. Oh, yes. Jenny Agater is consistent. Jenny is like a brand name of screen nudity. Three weeks have gone by, so we're a lot closer to the next full moon. Yes, we've only got a week left. We, as the audience, understand yeah. as knowing, because we know wolf tropes. Now he spends a lot of the time in the hospital as we, the audience, and he falls in love with Nurse Price. Oh, yeah. And he has nightmares. And that, like, keeps the horror going. Like, just in case you thought we were done with the horror, he'll just have a nightmare. And then a nightmare within a nightmare. I I forgot the baddiness of these nightmares. The whole scary, mangled, Nazi animal situation with his family. I was like, what is happening? Atlanta says, like... What would a young Jewish kid, he would grow up hearing about the war. Right. Makes perfect sense. And so when his mind goes towards something terrifying, it would be that imagery, like the Nazi imagery. Invading his home, which is his safe space. Like, yeah. That's the most horrifying he's, he's, thing like dreaming he's, he's back home in America with his family. and So that's a real connection back to the original yeah. Wolfman script. Yeah, absolutely. With Kurt. Siedmuck. Siedmuck. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance. He gets discharged from the hospital, and now uh, Nurse Price is like, you got anywhere to go? Uh, and then he stays with her, and they make love. They make sweet in love. In such a way that I've never forgotten the first time I watched this. 
my friend Henderson goes, they're wearing each other. Which is to say they position their body so you can actually see nudity. <laughs> you see a little bit of breast. But um, it's very it's very cleverly by done. By and large, their lovemaking technique involves censoring the other person with like their legs or arms. Yeah. You're not real. I don't be a putz, David. And then he gets another visit. He got a visit in the hospital now from his gored up friend, Jack, who sort of plays the uh, the gypsy lady role in this. Sure. And then he shows up to like deliver the hard truths. And he's you, like, sir, are a werewolf. You're a werewolf. You've got to kill yourself. Yeah, there's no amulet for this guy. Are you really dead, Jack? What do you think? I think I've lost my mind. I think you're not real. I think you're just another part of a bad dream. He thinks it's on his head. He's having yeah. another nightmare. Yes. And you have like four nightmares, and then your dead friend shows up. You just think you're having a fifth. But he shows up again in the flat, and he's like, tomorrow you'll change. And he's decomposing he's decomposed a little more. decomposed more, yeah. Sure enough, he does change in that great, great... Set to a really bluesy version, a time. Sam Cooke version of Blue Moon. Yeah. The second time we've heard the song. It's the opening credits. Different version of the song. Yeah. I think there's, there's like three, three different versions, there right? Is. One in the credits, one in the beginning, too. One in the middle, and then we'll get to the end. And then we get like almost a movie within a movie where the character, you know, how, how you know, like, it's like London is a, is a character. Mm. It really is. Yes. As he goes around London picking off different types of Londoners. There's some hooligans in the backyard again. Yeah. Or the uh, the three tramps. Mm-hmm. By, the by subway the death is just The guy from the subway. I looked him up. He was Bib Fortuna. Not familiar? He's in Return of the Jedi. He's Jabba the Hutt, sort of second in command. Oh. They were no wonder. Bye. Next day, wakes up in the park. Horror's over. We get some nice comedy. He wakes up in the wolf cage with the wolves, naked yeah. at the zoo. Yeah, David Naughton was really in there with the wolves. Oh my gosh, yeah. With just naked. Hoping they weren't going to chomp his bits and pieces off. There's no like, how about another for safety? How about for safety? I don't crawl in there. <laughs> you get the great, you texted me, I guess you're watching it. A naked American man stole my balloon. Right. I also love I'm the old lady that he sees who like is kind of just completely Very unaffected. And yeah. She just kind of looks at him and walks like, away. Ooh. Ooh. I loved the detail that after he has sated himself with a night of murder, um carnivorous what is lunar the, carnivorous activities. Carnivorous activities, yeah. That he is randy. He's like he's in an excitable nibbling state. and nudging and like he's after his lady. He's like, ha, ah, I feel so good. Yeah, because you're full of like meat. Yeah, I, see I tend to I, feel I rather sluggish, but all right. You'd think, but he's invigorated by it, and yeah. he's quite lusty. I just think it's a fun detail. But uh, the guilt sets in pretty quick, and once he knows what he's done, yeah, yeah, he calls home, just talks to his like little sister for a bit, and then he's got like the little Swiss Army oh. knife, and he's I can't do it. And then he sees his friend Jack again, who's like more of a corpse than ever across the street at what was in this movie a porno theater. Yep. Which at the time that the script was written, like back in the day, apparently um, John Landis would go to Piccadilly and there was a theater that just showed cartoons. 
and there were lots of theaters in London around that time that would just, you drop off the kids and they just watch cartoons all day mm -hmm. while the moms would shop. And he was gonna set the, the scene in a cartoon theater while cartoons played. In the time that passed, those theaters, or the one in Piccadilly became a porno theater. In this case, playing a movie called See You Next Wednesday. His sort of trademark line that he says he puts into movies whenever he uses something from his unproduced See You Next Wednesday script, <laughs> then he'll put it into a movie. Okay. He'll, like on a poster somewhere. You look awful. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't even know if it was me that killed those people last night. I don't remember doing it. Jack is basically a skull puppet at this point. Yeah, literally. And now there's all of his fresh kills from the night before. The couple, they're still chipper. Yeah, they're like, here's the way you can kill yourself. This might be lovely. And that sets you up for the final, through Piccadilly, a major busy section yep. of London, which you and I separately came to the same conclusion of... That's what we should have seen in Jason Takes Manhattan. Absolutely. Instead of him knocking over a boombox. And there are reasons why Jason couldn't take Manhattan. Good reasons. Yeah. There were things in the script that would have been absolutely amazing if they could have happened. They just couldn't do it. Yeah. I get why. But I had the conscious thought while I was watching this third act of the movie. I was like, this is what Jason Takes Manhattan. This is how awesome it could have been. Yeah. With cars running Mostly at each other. Car and and people screaming over. and heads getting ripped off and flopping along car windshields. You know, just, oh God, just beautiful. What a beautiful sequence. Yeah. Which I have to wonder, did everyone wind up in limbo? You, you know, they're just sort of like, for, if you get killed by the, the wolf man until the curse is broken. You're saying, so are there years and years and years and years of, of undead walking around going like, finally this guy gets killed? I or is would... it just your particular werewolf that killed you? Or is it any werewolf no, in the werewolf No, because Jack line? was actually killed by the last werewolf. Right. So, but what I'm saying is, so, oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yes, got it. So, uh, so as long as the curse is alive. Per your question, probably. Yeah. Per my observation, though, there were multiple deaths in Piccadilly. Mm. Now, if a car swerves to avoid a werewolf and then hits a guy, is that guy? Absolutely not. Cursed to limbo? No, you so, got to be killed by the werewolf. You seem pretty sure. Yeah, of course. All right. Why would collateral damage? No, it's good. You, I think you got to be ripped apart by the werewolf. Okay, so actual physical yeah, contact. Yeah, physical contact. Actual physical contact! There's a conversation earlier where they talk about the wolfman. And he was like, I've just been thinking about the wolfman. No reason. Anyways, at the end, he's killed by his own dad. And maybe I'm thinking the werewolf would have to be killed by someone who loves him. Yeah. Well, that would also imply that Lon Chaney Jr. loved Bela. Mm. But, mm -hmm. all right, sticking a pin in that. Right. It's a really nice sentiment because at the end, he's a werewolf. She goes down the dark alley to, like, confront him. There's whatever British people call their SWAT team. Mm -hmm. Ready with guns. She goes up to, like, try to talk him out of being a werewolf and says that she loves him. And, like, his wolf face kind of, like, softens for yeah, a moment. Yeah, the crinkles uncrinkle. He and uncrinkles. You, and you go, and I, because I forgot how this, I, d I didn't remember how this movie ended. I was watching it going, oh, what's going to, pow. Yeah, well, he then lunges toward her. Yeah. Thereby bringing himself in the line of fire. Thereby he was, in a sense, killed by... 
someone who loved him. Also, that is such an abrupt ending that I was kind of in shock at the it, end. It, it, well, okay. Um, Completely shocked. He turns back human. Got There's a couple blood bu- seeping out of his bullet, bullet holes wounds. in him. It's very sad. She's crying. And back to the shot of him just dead on the ground. And because the monster's dead, you end it. And they bring in the third and final rendition of Blue Moon by the Marcells. I think so. And it just such a wacky song at such a sad moment. Yeah. And it's over. And before you can catch your breath, they just kind of like punch you with the song. And I feel like that moment emotionally is really effective. So for me anyway, you know, I'm watching, she's crying and I'm like, cry, I feel you. This is sad. And then you're just like, oh, Jesus, what? What? I was about to start crying. Why are you... It's totally, it's similar in, in congruousness as the transformation sequences with the Blue Moon song, yeah. where he's like screaming and in complete utter agony, transforming and these horrific things are happening, but this song is playing that is, And you know, it, it won't stop for him. Yeah. Just like, like basically like the curse. Yeah. The moon. It's just like, I'm not stopping for you. Oof. You keep at it. I'll keep at it. Yep. Yep. Are somebody Yeah, there's so much there. That we had to limit ourselves to two movies. I fought against you on that a little bit. I was like, I'm going to watch a couple more movies. And you were like, I think you can just do these two. And you were absolutely right. And I think as much as I would love to cover all werewolves in one episode, there's too much there. But I will say it's never been a sub-sub-genre that I've really been that excited about. And now I feel like I want to go watch all the werewolf movies. All of them. All of them. Because the themes are so interesting. And they don't have to stay serious. Sure. I guess werewolves aren't sexy enough to rule in comedy the same way vampires do. Because sexy vampires equal sex. And it's a real short jump from sex to comedy. Sure. Werewolves, a little harder. A little harder. And werewolves lend themselves to uh, relatability more than most other monsters. Definitely. And in the relatability, you've got the fear that out there can be a werewolf, but maybe in here can be a werewolf. And that's covering all two two of the bases, out there and in here. Yep. Uh, What more do you need? Uh, for this guy, nothing. I'm done. <laughs> and thank you, good people, for uh, seeing us all the way to the end of another episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, boysandghouls at gmail.com uh, for email. Follow us on Facebook. You can also leave messages there. Uh, Twitter. Why wouldn't we be on Twitter? Yeah. And that's boys and ghouls. Nothing fancy about it. <laughs> No underscore, no nothing. I locked down boys and ghouls on Twitter and never looked back. Come join us on Pinterest. I take care of that while Kat takes care of the Instagram page. Yep. So um, we're out there and we're having fun. So come join us. Uh, Kat, closing thoughts? My closing thoughts are stay, stick to the road. Stay oh. off the moors. Off the moors. Copy. Copy that. Yeah. And uh, 
Beware the moon. Care. Be careful.